Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. My name is Terry Fletcher. I'm actually coming live to you from Arizona today because I am at the winter meeting for the NSCHBC, which is the National Society of Healthcare Business Consultants. And we have meetings all week, and I am presenting one of the um, rounds of presentations. So decided to go ahead and record from my on-site, which is Arizona. So it's actually cold here <laughs> now. Relative cold, I realize, is different for everybody because, again, in California, we were having 50s and 60s. We were freezing, and it's about the same here. But it is sunny, so... Anyway, how's everybody doing? I know we're now into and got a head start into 2023 in January, and I didn't get a chance to do my top 10 Tuesday in December for 2022, so I will definitely have some good information on the last Tuesday of January since we have five Tuesdays this month. So look forward to that on the 31st. But today I definitely wanted to start with a coding question because it's something that actually comes up for me quite a bit. I noticed as coders, we coders, we are seeing more and more documentation of type two non-STEMI diagnoses. And there's been some differing opinions on how this should be coded. So let me give you some guidance on that. I've done kind of a, a deep dive into this and also talked to many physicians about this since one of my number one specialties is uh, cardiology. So let's just kind of break it down a little bit. So a type two non-STEMI is secondary to ischemia from a supply and demand mismatch. So something other than coronary artery disease is contributing to this supply and demand mismatch. So this type of MI, which is a myocardial infarction or a heart attack, is typically marked by non-ST elevation. So some of these causes may be respiratory failure, renal failure, COPD, heart failure, maybe severe anemia, uh, hypotension, shock, uh, severe infection, uh, extremely fast or slow heart rate, and of course, hypertension. These are just a few examples of what you could see in a type 2 non-STEMI. In diagnosing a type 2 MI, the patient may have a elevated troponin level that continues to change, uh, no, no clinical features of a typical MI, which is type 1, and a clinical condition known, at, known to increase the oxygen demand or decrease the oxygen supply. So treatment for a type 2 MI consists of treating an underlying cause or condition. And once this is corrected, um, then it should improve the, the heart problem and or it should at least resolve it. We also had in um, calendar year 2020 or 2018, we had some new codes for these uh, for this type of type 2 MI, and it was in the I21.A1 area. And there was also type 3, type 4, A through C, type 5, which now you're getting into I21.A9 for other myocardial infarction types. So just remember that myocardial injury not resulting from ischemia is not coded the same as type 2 non-STEMI. These non-ischemic myocardial injuries are reported with the I5A or 15A, I should say. And this includes the distinction between non-ischemic myocardial injuries versus 
ischemic MIs. And so you have to first uh, code the underlying condition when you're dealing with that. But the reason I bring this up is that everyone thinks that a heart attack is a heart attack is a heart attack. And it isn't, especially then when you move on to from the ICD-10 to then trying to code for um, the acute MI or somebody having a, a heart attack, so during um, procedure. So that's where you have to know the difference between type 2 non-STEMI and again, it's talking about that, you know, elevated troponin level. Some um, providers will call it acute coronary syndrome or ACS versus STEMI, which right now you've got um, the patient basically grasping for air. They, um, it's, it's immediate, it's emergent, it's right now. So just know the difference on that. And that should hopefully help you with your uh, MI coding, at least for the time being. The CodeCast is also brought to you today by Netflix, the Lincoln Lawyer original series. Watch Netflix on your phone or tablet. Get the free app. Go to Netflix.com. Again, the Lincoln Lawyer. Okay, so what I'm going to look at today is a topic that I've talked about in the past, but it's been updated with Noridian Medicare, which is the Medicare that I deal with in California, and I know many of you also do across the country. But this is also something that is a national policy but there was a 2022 in October update to how to document for what they call, um, well, amended records, basically. So it could be a late entry, it could be an addendum, it could be a correction, but we have to make sure that we are following compliance rules, making sure that we understand the regulatory, um, I guess, way to do things. Otherwise, if you do it wrong, you could be in trouble. And the reason I wanted to bring this up too is because I've had some practices saying, hey, we're being asked for records. Um, we're getting an audit from a payer and I'm getting asked the question, can we go back in and provide an addendum to the record? I'm like, what? After you're getting a request for something that you already billed and a request for an audit that they've already seen your original note, that would be negative. No, you cannot do that. So let's take a look at what that means to amend a medical record. So first of all, the elements of a complete medical record. Let's start there. So when records are requested, it is important that you send all associated documentation that supports the services billed within the time frame designated by the written request by the payer. Sometimes that information could come from a visit. Sometimes it's a test performed uh, earlier than the claim in question. Um, and it could include maybe physician orders and certifications of medical necessity, uh, patient questionnaires associated with physician services. It could be progress notes of another provider that you referenced in your own note. Remember that sometimes that's what they're asking for as well maybe treatment logs, uh, related professional consultation reports, um, procedure lab x-ray and diagnostic reports, and maybe billing provider notes for bill date of service, which is typical. So that's what the elements of the medical record are. And remember to stick to what they're requesting, no more, no less, but what they're requesting. But when we talk about amended records, this is where we have legitimate occurrences in the documentation, legitimate of clinical services, that there needs to be either a late entry, an addendum, or a correction to that medical record. Now, what is that? So a late entry, an addendum, or a correction to the record bears the current date of that entry. So even though the date of service might be different, that's the current date, and is signed by the person making the addition or the change into the record. A late entry, a late entry supplies additional information that was omitted from the original entry. 
So it bears the current date. It's added as soon as possible. It's written only if the person documenting has total recall of the omitted information and signs a late entry. So it can't be third party. It can't be coming from a provider who's giving it to a medical assistant who's then putting it in the record. It has to come from the person that has the total recall of the information that wasn't there to start. So an example would be a late entry following treatment of a trauma, maybe. The left foot was noted to be abraded laterally and then signed by, you know, uh, John Smith, MD, and 61510. Um, and then maybe an addendum. This is used to provide information that was not available at the time of the original entry. So this also, also should be timely, bear the current date and reason for the addition, or clarification of information being added to the medical record and be signed by the person making the addendum. So this could be something like the chest x-ray report was reviewed and showed an enlarged cardiac silhouette, which was not commented on prior to. So something that wasn't available before. And then signed. And a correction, now this is different, making a correction to the medical record, you never can write over and you cannot um, obliterate the passage when there is an error in judgment or an error in the entry in the medical record. So here's where your EMR has to have this capability. You have to draw a single line through the erroneous information. So you want to print it off and then in white paper, draw a line through it, keep the original date legible, sign or date, sign or initial the date and when that line was drawn through. It's not really a deletion, but it's it's saying this shouldn't have been in there. State the reason for the correction above that uh, line cross out um, and or in the margin and then document the correct information on the next liner space with the current date and time making reference back to the original entry. Then what you want to do is you want to um, you want to basically scan and then re-enter that into the system. So correction of electronic records have to follow that same principle as tracking the original entry with current date, time, reason for the change, and initials of the person making the correction. So when the hard copy is generated from it, that electronic record, both records have to show the correction. And it has to be very clear and specific to the change made, the date made, made and the identity of the person. So here's where it gets interesting. <laughs> As far as the timeline, okay, so providers, this you don't want to falsify documentation. So providers are reminded by the payers, and this, and this is Noridian talking, that deliberate falsification of medical records is a felony offense and is very serious if they see it. So what could that include? What is falsifying records? Creation of a new record when records are requested. That actually is considered falsifying. Backdating entries, postdating entries, predating entries. Um, writing over entries, uh, uh, adding to existing documentation, except as late entries, addendum, and corrections, and corrections to the medical record legally amended prior to claim submission. Remember that word prior, and our medical review is considered um, will be considered in determining the validity of the service build. If the changes appear in the record following payment determination based on medical review, they only will allow the original record to determine payment of services to Medicare. Now, if you're audited, they could ask you questions and you can add to it after the fact in a completely separate document. But as far as changing anything, correcting anything, addending anything, late entry anything of the original record, that is not allowed. So appeal of claims denied on the basis of an incomplete record could result in reversal of the original denial if the information supplied 
uh, was not submitted on initial review. But you have to be very careful with this because if this ever hits a courtroom, an arbitration, or some kind of a, a legal situation, you can get in a lot of trouble. So um, the reference for this would be the section 1833E, 1842A, and 1862A of the Social Security Act. One is no documentation, the other one is carrier audits, and the other one's medical necessity. But make sure that you are checking this out. All you have to do is for your own payer, just put in addendums and in Google, uh, addendums, and then put in who your Medicare payer is and something should pop up for you. But be aware, I talk about this all the time. And it's amazing to me how often it's incorrect. And I wouldn't want you to get in trouble for that. So a personal tidbit. Well, you are listening to this as it is pre-recorded. You know that my Steelers needed a lot of help this past weekend. They needed the Miami to lose. Sorry, Sean Weiss. Um, we needed the Bills to win, and I'm so happy that their player is out of the woods and doing much better. Uh, he need, they needed to beat the Patriots, and then the Steelers needed to win out with the Browns. You'll find out next week what happened, as I'm not able to comment on it right now as those games um, from the time I'm recording this haven't been played yet. So I will let you know, but I'm going to be glued to my football seat over the weekend and uh, I'll let you know what happened. So everyone, make it a great day. Uh, have a great rest of your week. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. Oh, one thing I did wanted to comment, did want to comment on is I got some really cool Christmas gifts from a couple of listeners. So Nicole Anderson in South Carolina, thank you for my cookies. You, somebody realized that I am a cookie monster. I do love cookies, uh, anything with no nuts and um, cinnamon or like snickerdoodles or uh, chocolate chip cookies or sugar cookies. Again, no nuts. And thank you so much. Those were awesome. So I appreciate that. Uh, Sean Weiss, who I uh, podcast with on his compliance guy roundtable and on the hashtag Terry Tuesday, he got me a just a great coffee around the world. So I get coffee every month. And that was really quite something. And so and then for to Arlene, thank you for the the wine. I appreciate that. And for Trevor, thank you uh, for your from your for your cookies. And then also to Robert, you found me a Dr. Pepper lip smacker that was the larger size. It's hard to find that larger size. So that was quite the surprise. And, uh, you know, just a couple more little things I got from people. So thank you so much for those of you that think thought of me during the holidays. I really appreciate that. And again, we'll, we'll talk to you next week on the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter, at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>